Greetings and welcome once again to Soldier of Souls, a weekly program especially for the parishioners of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and St. Henry's Catholic Churches, but also for anyone else trying to locate signposts for their souls to follow through this earthly life and onward into our eternal home with God, our Creator, Redeemer, and King. Hi, I'm Deacon Tim Vaughn, and in this, our second episode, I'm going to share some factoids about Mint, his name, his history, his length, and why it begins with all those ashes on our foreheads. In short, why is Lent so important to Catholic Christians as we pursue a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? Perhaps you might roll your eyes when I tell you that Lent is an awesome gift. Of course, it can be overlooked because of its plain and simple purple wrapping but those who notice it along the way, who stop, pick it up, and open it, will find that it contains astounding beauty and joy. J. R. R. Tolkien once wrote, All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots not reached by the frost. This is the sort of Lent we wish for you to experience. Now join with us in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, news for those in the pews. As St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, Our Lady's Altar Sodality, will have a St. Joseph bake sale on March 20th in the church vestibule, and goodie bags will be distributed. At St. Henry's, the altar, St. Joseph altar will also take place on March 20th. Be sure to bring your delicious baked goods for the altar. All proceeds at church, both parishes, will benefit the ladies' altar of sodality to help them in their good works. The morning Eucharistic adoration takes place before 6.30 a.m. Mass every Tuesday through Friday from 5.30 to 6.10 a.m. And Lenten evening Eucharistic adoration and rosary takes place every Tuesday from 5.30 to 6 p.m. with the rosary beginning at 6 p.m. Everyone is invited to come spend an hour or just a few minutes in adoration with the Lord and to stay and pray the Holy Rosary. Afterwards, it's an adult ed class, no greater love, 
a biblical walk through Christ's passion beginning at 645. The class is also held on Fridays at 930. And of course, as always during Lent, we will have the Stations of the Cross. They are on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock at St. Henry's, and on Friday night also at 6 o'clock at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Come and live Christ's passion together in the Stations of the Cross. Today, we're going to look at the history of the great season of Lent. All good Catholics know about Lent, but today we're going to answer some important questions about Lent. What is Lent? Where did it get its name? How did it begin? And again, what's up with those ashes? Well, to answer the first question, what is Lent? We have to go back many, many, many centuries to the earliest times of the church. And, it was, and with all deeply prayerful traditions within the Catholic Church, we have to look to Holy Scripture for the origins of Lent. Remember, everything that is within the Catholic Church is based in Holy Scripture. Our blessed Lord himself modeled and sanctioned a time of prayer and preparation prior to beginning his earthly ministry. Jesus himself set an example by fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Now, of course, I'm not telling you to go out to the desert and fast for 40 days. No, of course not. That would be silly and impractical on your part. But I do want to draw attention to the scriptural 40-day period and how it's always been a special spiritual significance regarding periods of testing, trial, and preparation. Now, an important part of biblical trivia. Did you know that the number 40 is mentioned 146 times in Scripture? Hmm. I think that may be a clue that the number 40 is meaningful and we ought to pay attention to it. And I'm going to give you several different biblical references to 40 days. First, we'll go all the way back to nearly the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis Chapter 7, verse 4. God tells Noah, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living thing I have made. Secondly, we go to the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 28. On Mount Sinai, preparing to receive the Ten Commandments, Moses stayed there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating any food or drinking any water. Also, in the Old Testament, in the first book of Kings, chapter 19, verse 8, Elijah walked 40 days and 40 nights 
to the mountain of the Lord, Mount Oreb, also known as Mount Sinai. But most importantly, we go to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert before he began his public ministry. It looks like the length of 40 days is pretty important in the scriptures. Important enough that Jesus probably didn't randomly choose that particular period of time. And if 40 days was important to Jesus, then we can be sure that it's very important to us. Now let's move forward in time from the days of Jesus and consider how Lent has become the season we observe now. Before diving into the history and development of Lent, let's quick take a little side trip and consider where Lent got its name. The word Lent is derived from the Anglo-Saxon word Lincoln, meaning spring, and Lincolned, which is the word for the month of March, which was in the month which was which is the major part the Lenten season falls. Okay, Citra finished. So let's return to Lenten history. In the first three centuries of the church's existence, the important dates, such as Christmas and Easter, had not been established yet. There is no seasons of Advent or Lent. But the early church fathers felt there was a needed period of time for the preparation for each feast, especially Easter. As early as the second century, St. Irenaeus, one of our early church fathers and an influential bishop, and missionary wrote to Pope Victor I, complaining of controversy surrounding the date of Easter and the observance of fasting leading up to this feast day. At that time, Lent only lasted one or two days. Lent became a little bit more standardized after the legalization of Christianity in 313 AD, but it was not until 325 AD, when Roman Emperor Constantine assembled the bishops at Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey, that a complex formula was designed that placed the date of Easter on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the first day of spring. The canons emerging from that council also referenced a 40-day Lenten season of fasting. However, a 40-day period was not strictly adhered to. Depending on the specific parish, the period of fasting was different lengths. Some communities observed fasting beginning with Septuagesima Sunday, 70 days before Easter. The number 70 recalled the number of years that Israel was exiled in Babylon. The three-week season of Septuagesima was treated as sort of a pre-Lenten season. 
the hallelujah and gloria disappeared from the mass. The faithful began to use of foods that would be forbidden during Lent. The liturgical readings during this time was, became filled with the holy mournfulness. In short, Septuagesima anticipated the rigorous discipline of Lent by easing the faithful into it. It was not until the pontificate of Pope Gregory the Great between 590 and 604 AD that the 40 days of fasting was set to begin on Quadragesima Sunday, which is the first Sunday of Lent. But the numbers didn't quite work. Given there's no, there's no fasting to occur on Sundays, remember that Sunday is viewed as a weekly memorial of the resurrection. Therefore, Sunday is always considered a day of celebration, not fasting. So six weeks of fasting added up to only 36 days, not 40. To correct this, Pope Gregory moved the start of Lent to Wednesday before the first Sunday of Lent. This beginning day of Lent became known as Ash Wednesday, and it still marks the beginning of Lent for the Roman Catholics in the Western Rite. Now we're going to take a little side trip, actually a little bit longer than a little side trip, into how the Eastern Rite observes the Lenten season. Now I think it's important to see some of the important traditions that the Eastern Rite has retained over the centuries. The Eastern Rite of the Church begins the season of Lent on the Monday before the first Sunday of Lent. Some of the Eastern Rite churches need those two extra days because neither the Feast of St. Joseph nor the Feast of the Annunciation are counted as part of the 40 fast days of Lent, since those two days are not fast days. Other Eastern Rite churches begin the 40 Lenten seasons on Ash Monday because they count all the days, including Sundays, between Ash Monday and Temptation Friday, which is the Friday before Palm Sunday as the 40 days of the Lenten season. Actually, there are a number of other interesting differences between the way Lent is structured in the Western Catholic Church and the Eastern Rite Churches, such as St. Elias, the Maronite Church in downtown Birmingham. It is a church with the lit green cross down by UAB as you drive down Interstate 65. Let's take a look at those. The Eastern Rite Churches named the 40 days of fasting prior to Pascha or Easter as Great Lent. As I noticed previously, they begin the season of Great Lent on Ash Monday rather than Ash Wednesday. In the Eastern Rite Churches, this first day of Lent originally was known as Monday of Oil. The faithful were anointed with sanctifying oil signifying a need 
for expiation and purification from sin. Later, the Eastern Rite churches were influenced by the Roman Catholic practice of marking the faithful with ashes. So they too adopted the blessing and distribution of ashes. So then, oil, Monday of oil became Ash Monday. Ash Monday falls on the day what is named Cana, Cana Sunday. Cana Sunday is the same as our Sunday before Lent. But the readings for that Sunday are different in the Eastern Rite because our lectionaries do not correspond with each other. The gospel that is always read on that Sunday in the Eastern Rite is Jesus' first miracle at the wedding feast of Cana from John's Gospel. Why is this reading news? Good question, you ask. Now, if you remember, we heard this same gospel way back in mid-January following the baptism of Jesus. At that time, the homily that was given, we heard an excellent presentation of unpacking what was the deeper meaning of that gospel reading, but let me refresh your memory. Now, there is a pal parallel between Eden and the wedding feast of Cana. The Gospel of John intends this to be the story of a new creation. The Cana story begins with the word, on the third day. This harkens back to the creation story of Genesis, with its references to each day and what was accomplished within it. Jesus Christ is the new Adam in the Cana story. The reason that this gospel is used at the beginning of the Great Lent in the Eastern Rite is because it is a reminder that the new Adam, Christ, is coming to undo the damaged, damage done by the first Adam. In the same way, the Cana story, gospel story, identifies Mary as the new Eve. In the creation story in Genesis 2, only God himself is named. Adam and Eve are only called the man and the woman. At Cana, Jesus, who is God, is called by name. However, even though we know that Mary is Jesus' mother, she is only referred to as woman. Jesus responds to Mary when she informs him about the shortage of wine. Jesus says in John 2, verse 4, Woman, what do you have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. John's use of the term woman is not meant as disrespect towards Mary, but rather the use of the word is intended to show that Mary is the new Eve. As the homeless pointed out to us, Jesus uses the term woman as a symbol that should alert us to show that Jesus has come as the new Adam for the salvation of all. The great Lent is presented as a symbolic journey. Like the water being transformed into wine, the faithful are called to transformation and repentance during the Great Lent. At the end of Great Lent, there 
a distinct Maronite rite of arrival at harbor. It is celebrated on the evening of Hosanna Sunday or Palm Sunday and marks the beginning of Passion Week or our Holy Week. The faithful are reminded on that night that the journey which started on Cana Sunday ends with the ark with the, with, is the church. The faithful are arriving safely at the arbor of salvation, Christ himself. This rite begins with the faithful gathering in front of the closed doors of the church with candles lit in imitation of the wise virgins awaiting the bridegroom as we read in Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13. The priest then knocks on the door three times before it is opened to let in the faithful of Christ, who will journey on to live the sufferings of Passion Week, accumulating in the great plan of salvation with Christ's resurrection. Now, let us return to Pope St. Gregory and the establishment of the Lenten season. Why did Lent begin with putting ashes on our foreheads? Now this seems a little weird, actually seems a lot weird. How did that begin? Actually, Gregory is credited with initiating the practice that gave the first day of Lent its name, Day of Ashes, or simply Ash Wednesday. To begin the season of fasting and repentance, ashes were made by burning the blessed palms from the previous Palm Sunday. The faithful were instructed to bring these with them to Strove Tuesday services. At that time, confessions were heard and palms were burned. The following day, Gregory marks the foreheads of his congregations with ashes, a biblical symbol for penance. Remember all those Old Testament folks who repented with sackcloth and ashes? It is also a reminder to early Christians of their mortality, as we read in Genesis 3.19, For you are dust, and dust you shall return. So when does Lent end? For most Catholics, we want to know this, because then we can stop our fast and get back to drinking Cokes eating cookies, and we can go back to posting on Facebook again. But actually, this is a very important question, and as previously mentioned, has a different endpoint for the faithful of the Roman Catholic Church and those in the Eastern Rite. For Roman Catholics, Lent officially ends on Holy Thursday at the start of the Twitterum. The three great days of Holy Thursday Good Friday and Holy Saturday leading up to Easter. It makes sense to separate Lent from the Twitterum, but the 40 days of Lent does not include the Twitterum in its count. Some Eastern Rite faithful also end their Lent on Holy Thursday, but do not count it in the 40 days since they began their Lent early. Others of the Eastern Rite end their Lenten season with Temptation Friday, the Friday before Palm Sunday, as previously noted. Okay, now that we know all about Lent, in upcoming podcasts, we'll examine the disciplines of Lent. 
fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. We will begin next week by delving into fasting and perhaps discover that there's more to it than simply changing our eating habits. So let us close by praying to our Blessed Mother to help us to keep a Holy Lent. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until then, remember the words of Jesus. Wide is the road to destruction. So we will always urge you to stay on the path. So until next time, may God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God speed you on your sojourn.